what? We finally got the 2024 Messy Reformation Conference on the schedule. Block off your calendars for April 15th through the 17th, 2024. The theme for our first ever conference is Courageous Leadership, with a particular emphasis on what courageous leadership looks like in times of Reformation. In our current Reformation, the CRC needs leaders who are willing to stand firm in their convictions and lead their churches, classes, and denomination with courage and boldness. We've designed this conference to help equip, encourage, and paint a vision for what that courageous leadership will look like wherever God leads us. To find out more about this conference, or to get signed up right away, head on over to themessyreformation.com. Don't wait to get signed up. We need people to get signed up as soon as possible to get a handle on how many people are coming and what to expect, so don't wait. And don't miss this opportunity to equip yourself connect with fellow leaders, and be part of this messy reformation in the CRCNA. As you know, whenever reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy and courageous leaders are needed. That's why we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church, find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for this podcast so that the algorithms push our content further into the world that needs to hear what we're saying. You are the marketing plan, and we believe we've placed our marketing in good hands. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Steve Bussis. Uh, I think two primary things. One is uh, there are personal stories involved, and anytime something's personal, that's going to appeal. That's going to bring about more feeling and emotion. And I think another part of it was a recognition of the stakes of the discussion. Mm. And so wanting to utilize, uh, well, I think there's just more of a, a desire to persuade and convince others. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, the stakes of it in, in lots of ways, right. From some of the personal things, but Again, recognizing that where we stand on this definitely is going to affect who who can be a pastor or not in, in the denomination, and that's a that's a really emotional thing. I think everybody needs to realize that that doesn't need to necessarily sway where we're at on it, but it's important to recognize that um, you know having to leave a denomination that you've grown up in and you've served for a long time is a very emotional thing, and. Uh, I think we need to, yeah, I think we need to be aware of that for sure. And so did you, uh, did you look in on the events of, uh, Synod 2024 last year? Were you watching us on the live stream at all or 2023? No, I'm talking. Oh yeah. 2023. Yeah. I'm already thinking next year. Uh, so 2023, were you paying attention to what was going on in 2023 or were you just kind of taking a year off and taking a break? No, I, I was keeping up. Uh, not always live. I appreciated being able to skip in minutes ahead here or there, but uh, I, I watched most of all the proceedings that happened. Okay. 
And so did you notice a, a tone shift between 2022 and 2023? Uh, not greatly. Uh, there was maybe a little bit more intense than the year before. I think particularly on the last day that was noticeable. Um, but there again, I, I think there was a recognition uh, of what had happened before set us down a trajectory and kind of put a stake in the ground saying this is this is where we stand, this is what we believe. And uh, so I think particularly for those that wanted to see us move a different way, there was even greater recognition of what was at stake. And as you said, of of trying to preserve a place in the denomination for those for whom 2022 may have felt was the beginning of a push out that was uncomfortable. Yeah, it did feel very much like uh, 2023 was kind of a last stand kind of a moment, and which is why the tensions and the anxiety and the frustrations and emotions were so high because I think people definitely realized that, you know, where we land on some of these things um, makes a huge difference. And we just saw um, just recently uh, Tyler Wagenmaker and Cedric Parcells did a report for the Abide Project kind of talking about, um, you know, they weren't allowed to be part of this Grand Rapids East informational meeting, but they kind of went through some of the agenda items that they had received. And, and you can see even on that agenda item that, that, you know, that how, where we land, where we landed already has made them decide that they probably can't be part of the denomination for sure. If we decide um, on Gravamen where it seemed like we were going to land on Gravamen at the last synod. And just to be honest, um, everybody I've talked to says we're going to land in a pretty similar spot in 2024. I think everybody's pretty much on the same page where we're at on that. And so, you know, there, there's a strong feeling that 2023 really was kind of the, uh, to use another war analogy that bothers people, but uh, kind of a D-Day kind of a moment where we're storming the beaches of Normandy. And if we win this battle, um, things will change. And uh, it has felt like that. I think 2024 will still be intense, but I, I, I'm actually thinking 2024 will be less intense on that emotional level. And it's going to be more logical trying to figure out where do we go from here and, and how do we, how do we figure out? And I'm just saying it because I think everybody's on the same page. How do we figure out this gracious separation path for it? How do we figure out how to separate in a way that's helpful, but we've all seen, we can't stay here anymore. And so we got to figure out a way a way forward. Um, is that kind of what you're seeing too, Steve? Yeah. You know, I, I think I shouldn't assume, but I think we're in the same boat in that we're, we're seeing some of, some of this secondhand in terms of in classes, Yellowstone, you know, we don't have a situation where some churches or some pastors feel very uncomfortable. So, so I'm seeing it from afar, but I think they're, I think there was a hope in 2023 that that what had happened in the mid 90s, where one synod said one thing and and then the next synod came back and sort of reversed course and and there was this sort of jostling back and forth for a few years until we finally landed in a place 
regarding women in office. I, I think there was a hope for some that 2023 was an opportunity to to see that repeated with a different uh, with a different matter at hand. And so now that that now that two synods in a row have affirmed the same thing, I think you're right that there's a growing recognition that if if though if what was decided at those two synods doesn't fit you as a pastor or a church, um, it's going to be a challenge moving forward. Yeah, and that, and so we need to really start having some good conversations. I think now, right, leading up to synod, so that we can figure out what the clear path is forward on this so that, um, yeah, I mean, never, we're never going to please everybody in a decision, but we can try to come get as the best collective wisdom as we can to move forward, um, towards some kind of separation. Because like you said earlier, right. I think everybody's ready on both sides of this matter and, and people on both sides and people in the middle being kind of torn back and forth. Everybody's kind of ready. Let's be done with this so we can get back to the essential work of the church, because I don't think, I know at least from the conservative side, none of us are saying this is the essential work of the church. We're saying this is a significant aspect that we need to, we need to make, we need to land on the right place here in order to do the work of the church. But this isn't the the work of the church. This isn't the most significant work of the church. We have more bigger things we want to do. So let's make a decision here so we can start moving forward. So what, so you, you said that you've kind of think we're in that same situation. Um, do you have any suggestions for people as far as, you know, it's about the time, well, it's the time of year to be thinking about Christmas as we're recording this and probably not overtures, but, uh, but January, we start having spring classes meetings and, um, are there overtures that you're thinking that people maybe should be considering writing or what do you, what do you think, um, classes should start thinking about leading up to synod 2024 yeah i don't have any specific overtures that i'm working on or that i uh, would direct specifically say someone needs to write an overture on this um you know i think you mentioned earlier uh about the uh, gravamen or the gravamen that that was unfinished work and so i i don't know whether Overtures are necessarily needed for that. Uh, there were plenty sent to 2023, uh, some of which were left unfinished. But I, I think that's going to be one of the major matters that that simply needs to be completed at Synod. The, one yeah. of the downsides of having a time limit is that something that was really important that couldn't get finished, you know, with the few hours that afternoon. Now suddenly you have a 12-month window before. Uh, that comes up. Um, so I think that's going to be the biggest matter in terms of the human sexuality discussion for this upcoming synod. But I think in the, regardless of overtures, it's already st- time to start thinking about who from each classes could serve as a delegate. Um, mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned earlier, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't spend time worrying or concerned about what might or might not happen at Synod 24, but at every Synod, we want delegates who are faithful and uh, scripturally sound uh, serving because that's, that's, that's who we are as a church. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the same reason why we want faithful, biblically sound members on our councils, because they're the ones steering and leading the 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 church. And so, why wouldn't we want faithful, biblical delegates to synod? You know, I, it's it's always funny to me when people um want to accuse the abide project of trying to manufacture and whatever and it's like we haven't done anything on the one hand it's it's crazy um the only thing that the abide project has done or even our podcast has done has encouraged biblical faithful people to put their name forward and go to synod uh to make decisions and that's actually what we're supposed to be doing that's what we should have been doing for a long time um, I think it hasn't been happening for a while, which is why people didn't realize where we were at as a denomination, because I think, as Willie pointed out, that some of these churches that felt disconnected from the denomination said, well, we don't need to send people to there. We're we're not really part of what's going on there and whatever. But then now that we're in this moment, people have said, no, we need to be there. We need to be part of this. And I want to encourage us, even when we go beyond this moment. Uh, we need to still make sure we're sending solid, biblical, faithful delegates to synod. Um, and I want to throw one more nuance on this. Um, and, and something that we learned last year, um, and not even to take a shot, but just to make sure that we're thinking, I not only want us to be thinking about who, who we're sending as delegates, but what types of delegates we want to send um, that would be good office bearers at synod to serve as president, vice president clerk and second clerk, because that plays a significant role on how the conversation goes. And that's going to play a significant role on how quickly the the issue of gravamen comes up um, on the schedule as well. And so as long as we, if we're, you know, we don't get to pick who's going to be those office bearers, but we can send people who we think would be good nominations for that. And then Senate can vote on it, but be thinking even beyond just a good delegate, but who, what types of people would we want to see in the position of president and vice president and clerk? Because that'll, that'll be pretty significant again this year. Right. And something I've come across on the council of delegates that uh, still unclear exactly how this process will work out, but uh, not just office bearers at synod, but it would be really helpful if every classes had uh, some kind of a pool of, here are biblical faithful people who would be willing to serve on various uh, study committees or task force, uh, that sort of thing, because I've not been a part of a committee at Synod who had to put one of those together, uh, but I've talked to others who have, and it's pretty helter-skelter of who do you know, who do you know, and there, suddenly there's a, a list of names together. And so even, I think that'd be a worthwhile task for classes to do is is simply to put together a list of of people that would be willing to serve uh, in those capacities, and then and then send that along with whoever is delegated to synod, if need be. Yeah, that's a great idea because we we struggled with that in my committee last year. Is that according to church order, the committees are the ones that that put together the study committees. It's not for ease of time and whatever synod has gotten in the habit of assigning that to the general secretary, but that's technically out of church order. Like it's out of order. The order is that the study committees do that work and find the the nominations for those committees. But that's really hard to do because you're already, especially, you know, with my committee last year, we had 30 overtures and 
and a million different requests. And, you know, we already went into Monday working on our stuff, trying to get through it. And, and we still had put forward if that in loco committee would have gone through synod was going to appoint the in loco committee. And so we were still going to have to figure out how to, how to put that committee together. There are some provisions to be able to do that after synod with the, the committee chairs and the, and the officers of synod, but either way, that would be a really helpful resource for for each class is to put forward. Here's some really good, solid people in these different categories. We usually are looking for biblical theologians and and some kind of practical, depending on what the matter is, some kind of legal advice person and whatnot, so that um, we would have those resources at Synod. That, that's a great idea, Steve. What, uh, what else are you thinking about as far as kind of the future of the Christian Reformed Church? Are there anything else? I mean, we've talked about kind of Gravamen, talked about, I think, the importance leading up to this synod as far as um, figuring out some way for, for separation graciously. Um, is there anything else you think we need to start thinking about now as a Christian Reformed Church to kind of get back to being um, a healthy, biblical, functional denomination a uh, couple things i'll i'll point out i one is um in some ways i'm not sure we entirely need to go anywhere new uh i i occasionally will tell my congregation to watch out for any book with the name fresh in the title and i'm i'm somewhat kidding but mostly not kidding mm-hmm. uh, because the way forward isn't isn't necessarily uncharted water. It's it's keeping central what what God has made central. I'm going through a book with a, a colleague who's pastoring a small church that he's kind of thinking about. Is this? Uh, it's almost like a church plant or revitalization. So we're going through the book from embers to a flame by Harry Reader, and uh, his central point in that book is for church revitalization. And I think that could be for the local church or for the denomination. But his central point is keep the gospel central. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, I don't I don't know that the way forward it needs to be terribly complicated. Treasure the scripture, study it, meditate it, preach it, uh, be diligent, consistent in prayer and and look to the power of the gospel and the power of the spirit at work among his people um, and to to be content with. Uh, you asked earlier about seminary professors, and while my favorite is Dr. Vendrun and Dr. Horton, Michael Horton is the one who probably writes the most books, and he has a book called Ordinary, uh, talking about how God most of the time works through what seem like regular, ordinary things, preaching, sacraments, church discipline, uh, times of worship, times of fellowship, and so in some ways, uh, in my opinion, the way forward is is not complicated, but we just we have to be willing to say this is what we're committed to, and this is where our focus is going to be. Uh, one other thing, uh, I think, just practically, again, so classes Yellowstone, kind of some of the the challenges in the human sexuality conversation that that I've been seeing is more secondhand. It, it feels far away. Um, but what what has struck me is that I'm not sure we figured out as a denomination where the buck stops. I mean, it stops at Synod, but in the 51 weeks of the year that Synod is not meeting, uh, you know, so I've I've been pointed to 
um, church website statements, uh, statements of affirmation, or videos of church services that are clearly uh, affirming activities. And I don't know that we've figured out that we talk about accountability and, and want to have accountability, but I'm not sure we've figured out for 51 weeks of the year where that accountability comes from. And I think it would be very helpful to know uh, do we really need to wait until the next synod to address matters like this? And I guess that gets at part of what has, what has, uh, would give me pause to say that I love everything about the council. It's, is that's where the COD has said, Hey, hey, not our job, not our job. But then it seems to be no one's job. Mm. If we're going to keep the gospel central and when, when there are activities happening that are contrary to the gospel and biblical truth. There has to be some measure of accountability. I'm not sure that we've figured out what that is. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think uh, I think we have seen that a lot over the years. We really saw it um, those two years where we didn't have synod and the Council of Delegates um, had their special meeting and uh and i i'm such a nerd so i watched the live stream of all of those but a lot of the discussion in those meetings was what authority do we have what can we do what can't we do and and then what authority do we have on what issues right so some people were arguing we have authority to do this and other people were saying no and then the next issue would come and the group that was saying no first would say we have authority to do this and the other group would say no we don't have authority to do this and so there's there is some confusion on the authority and the role um, of the COD, and I think that would be helpful clarity moving forward to know because I think I think we it, it points to a couple of things that that we've been seeing it, the last few synods is for one there's because after a year has already gone it's really hard to do some discipline and some accountability because it seems like old news it seems like you're just bringing up old garbage and you're being punitive or whatever, but in the moment it's easier. Uh, we know this with our children too, right? When you're disciplining a child, for one, you you do wait. You don't do it in a heat of moment of anger, but you don't wait a month to go and discipline them for something that happened a month ago because it seems like you're just bringing something old up for no reason. And so uh, scripture says discipline has to be timely in order to be effective. And so what does that look like? Then with the Council of Delegates. I think that's a really helpful thing to do. I also want to bring up something you mentioned a while ago, because um, I've been a huge fan of, of Harry Reader's book, For Members to a Flame. And so uh, being in a church revitalization and that being something I'm pretty passionate about, um, I've read his book a bunch of times and I've worked through it with my elders. And uh, um, right on the money with he, him talking about having to emphasize the gospel, that's the big thing. But one of the other things he mentions as far as taking steps towards revitalization in a church, and I would say as a denomination as well, is it has to begin with our own repentance, which is part of putting the gospel forward, right? So you come into a church revitalization, you need to help that church learn how to repent of where they've been and, and what they've done and what's gotten them into such a position of, of unhealthiness. And there's always something um, in the background um, that's causing that, that they need to repent of, but it's really hard to get a church to get to the point of recognizing that they need to repent. It's usually the story in many church revitalizations is 
well, we made this really good decision and then a bunch of people got angry and left over it, but they weren't really committed to our church and it was their, their fault, their fault, their fault, rather than owning it as a church. And that's what we're starting to see in the CRC too, is our refusal to repent of where we've been and and trying to throw the blame everywhere else rather than just own it as a denomination and say, um, you know, and not just public repentance, right? There's been all these public repeated re- like, well, we repent of the harm we've caused here. We repent of the harm we've caused here, but, but like actually repenting of inactive, like inaction. Right. And that's what I think a lot of church revitalizations that I talk to is they need to repent of just not taking action on certain things, which actually cause to the unhealth of the situation in general. And so um, I see us doing that now as a denomination, starting to actively take some steps of repentance saying, okay, we've neglected this for too long. Now we need to do that. But I want us to see, I want to see us do that more and more. So, um, and that's step, that's the first step of the God of receiving the gospel to repent and believe. Right. And so we need to do that as a denomination, but in our churches and, and then in our own lives on a regular basis as well. Completely agree. Yeah. So we're coming right to the end here, Steve. Um, we usually give our guests kind of some opportunity to give a final word of wisdom, final words of exhortation. We've got a large group of a variety of people. It's kind of increasingly becoming more broad who's listening to this uh, podcast. And what would be some kind of final words that you'd want to leave them with at the end of the podcast? I'll share this. Uh, one of the one of the great blessings and joys that I've seen over the past few years uh, here where I'm serving. So I'm in Manhattan, Montana. That's in uh, Gallatin County, which is the grow the fastest growing county in Montana. There are lots of people moving in, uh, a lot of out of state people. Uh, that was somewhat a result of COVID, of people wanting to escape certain places. And uh, Montana's pretty wide open, and uh, there's a lot of recreation opportunities. Anyway, all that to say, one of the fastest growing counties. So. Uh, we've been welcoming new people to the area, and we have seen uh, some of those people come to our church. And what's been really exciting for me, and I think for our church, is to see people coming to us because we're a Reformed church, uh, because we're a Christian Reformed church. Um, not necessarily because of the programs that we're offering or or this or that specific thing, but because of our biblical confessional foundation and identity. And even some who who before coming to our church had been in another church tradition. And uh, we had actually the, the colleague I was talking about, he's pastoring a small church. He first moved and joined our church. And uh, he had been um, in more of an Arminian situation, uh, Calvary Chapel, and was teaching through Ephesians and came to recognize the, the truths of uh, of reformed teaching of, of God's sovereign grace and salvation. And so for me, it's been really exciting seeing people come excited about who we are as a reformed church. And I think it's also been a huge blessing for people who grew up in the church and not that they weren't excited about it, but I think, you know, with anything that you kind of just grow used to it and almost to an extent, take it for granted. I'm not saying anyone did, but, but you, you don't have the initial excitement. And so to interact with people in Bible study or adult Sunday school 
who are really excited about uh, what we believe and what God has revealed and 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 who He is and and all that He's done. I, that excitement becomes contagious, and I share that simply to say uh, to to any who who might think, well, if we just kind of like just stick with this sort of traditional, isn't that boring? Well, uh, I'm here to tell you that for for some who didn't have that where they were or didn't grow up knowing that and then coming into it, um, it's not boring at all. It, it's exciting to recognize and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, it, that's been a huge blessing for us. And, and I hope it can encourage us to, to stay the course, to say that there's um, there's something really um exciting and powerful about the heritage that we've been given. Uh, nothing to be ashamed of or apologetic about whatsoever. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to The Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week to hear reflections from Willie and I about current affairs in the Christian Reformed Church. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.